Let us do the talking, just relax and unwind. Laugh your ass off, baby, have a good time. Robin Youssef, yeah, we something sublime. Run your mouth, bitch, yo, we out of our minds. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth Podcast. We've got an exciting episode for you this week. Um, We're going to squash the beef with the FagCast. It's been a long time running. They did some really terrible things, but, uh, you know, they're a bunch of statists, and they were inspired by the government, that the government was able to work out its differences, and if the government could work out its differences and reopen, the FagCast guy said, hey, we can work out our differences with the Run Your Mouth Podcast. We're going to call into their show and we're going to apologize for our wrongdoings. Mike, do we have him? Do we have him on the line? Yes, sir, Mr. Bernstein. All right. So I, 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 I'm prepared to hear him out. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to hear what these nice guys have to say. Harrington, are you, are you, are you okay with this? I mean, Robbie, it's your I'm gonna, show, man. I'm going to let bygones be bygones, but we're, we're all on board with this. We're okay. We're going to squash it. You are the fearless leader. Whatever you say is the plan. I'll go with. All right. So patch him in. Um, uh, Chicken Man, Mr. Armpit, are you guys here? Yeah, you you are a lying bastard, Robbie Bernstein. That's what you are. Her- that's no apology, Harrington. I thought we were good. I thought we worked out for an apology. I, no, we we just. This is called the in. long con, Robbie f- Bernstein. What the we, fuck we is this? We fooled you. We goaded you into into bringing us on, and here we are. And we're gonna we're gonna stab you right in the back. All right. Well, can we at least call a timeout? Because I thought we were gonna have a pleasant interview. I thought maybe we were gonna exchange ideas on liberty. I didn't realize that we were continuing. F- I-, I thought you guys were ready to apologize for the terrible things that you said about me, my podcast, and the horrible things you've done for the liberty movement at large. Quite the contrary. I believe we have a list of grievances, Bird. Yeah. Well, number one, he's Robbie the liar, Bernstein. He he lied about us taking his episode down. That's a lie. Yeah, what the hell was that all about? You can't, you come out of the blue with that. We're we're just over here podcasting, and then I, I I I'm like, man, I'm listening to part of the problem. I'm I'm patronizing Dave Smith here, and then this guy chirps in and says, "Fagcast taking us down, taking I, us down." And I had I had even taken the extra step to go listen to Run Your Mouth podcast after you plugged it on the part of the problem, and and here we are. I don't what what's going on. I know that it was you guys, um, because you're really. Our audience is not that large of enemies, and somebody had an episode taken down, and I know that you guys were after us, um, and it was dirty play. Listen, I, I understand that we're both in the liberty movement, and we're trying to grow our audiences, and we're trying to do what we can to um, both spread our ideas of liberty and kind of grow our followings. So I know what you did. I get it. I'm not like, I'm willing to forgive you guys for it, but it was it was dirty play, you know, reporting us for defamation. It wasn't cool. No, it's dirty play to lie about you reporting yourself for defamation <laughs> just to set it up yeah, for this episode. Can That's I actually say, lie. I'll just say that wasn't my favorite episode that we did. <laughs> so <laughs> self-reporting yourself for defamation on bad content is actually not a bad move. It's maybe not. Maybe we should continue doing that. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't done that well, yet, it, but, that, but that's not a bad move. It, it wasn't our favorite episode either, but I haven't come across too <laughs> right. many that have been, you know, it wasn't your best work. my favorite episode. So, uh, so, you know, maybe continue that trend, Robbie. What you mean of bad episodes? Yeah. Just keep pumping them out and keep canceling them. No, no, no. It wasn't canceled. You guys had it removed, but listen, let's, no, I don't know where you're coming from with this. We Let's move. Pa- either. Let's move past that. No. Let's let bygones be bygones. Let's be friends. And, uh, let, let's get into it a little bit. There's a lot of news going on. There's shit to discuss. First and foremost, I uh, I went skiing this past week. I'm a I'm a big skier. I see the snowboard there in back of uh, the armpit guy. Um, but you you live out in uh, out in Texas, right? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I live in Texas right now. Are you even able to, where, where do you snowboard in Texas? You, I guess you always got to hop a flight when you do it. Man, I usually just drive back. I moved here from Colorado, so I usually just drive back, see my friends and shred. How long? What? That's a crazy. I, I don't know geography. <laughs> yeah, it's like fourteen hours. Oh yeah, that's a fucking that's a fucking hike. And uh, what about you, Chicken Man? Are you a skier at all? Fuck no, I'm not a skier. I wonder. If, I, I I wish that we had videos so that you could see me. You'd be like, yeah, definitely not a skier. <laughs> Why are you big, out of shape, dude? Oh yeah, oh yeah. How fat? Yeah, big time, big time. Yeah, it's too bad I couldn't be in studio for it. How uh, how fat are we talking here, Chicken Man? I'm not too bad, but enough that if I was to get on a skateboard or a snowboard or anything like that, there would be problems. It would be a, there would be a lot of damage. Wow, we didn't even need to roast this guy, Harrington. He just did it for himself. Well, look, you gotta. I gotta be honest. I'm not a fucking liar like you. <laughs> you gotta no, be honest about it. Great. I've I, firstly, I thought we were going to let that drop. I know that it was you guys, <laughs> but I'm willing to move past it. I'm willing to go. Listen, I get what they did there and move on. If you guys keep bringing it up, we're not going to be able to move forward here. So can we let All that right, one go? Fine. Can we be cool? Listen, Harrington. All right, Bert, we'll what do you think? Do listen, I get that maybe you're stressing you out. I get that maybe you're stressing out and you're already feeling like you need a snack. I understand. I was fat myself, but <laughs> I really thought we were going to let this one slide. <laughs> fine. We'll let it slide. We'll let it slide this time. Okay, and we'll send we'll send you some candy bars in the mail to call it even. I I know how to I'll win. Come, next time I come to the studio, have a burger at the ready. I'll scarf that bitch down. And we can do some talking. All right. Hey, let me ask you this because uh, well, <laughs> I, I, this is the ADD in me that I'm already bored of the ski talk because I also went to uh, Queens College, which I hated. Mm -hmm. What's your What's your lunch spot <sighs> at Queens Geno's? Geno's. Okay, Geno's Pizza. I was still I was still keeping kosher at the time, and so I went to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think to Benji's Pizza just about every day. No, not Benji's. The other one. Fuck. I don't even remember the name. I'll have to get back to you on that. But I ate some good pizza there. Uh, all right. Let's get back to seeing thing. <laughs> yeah, man. Where'd you go? So I went to uh, I went to Mad River Glen, which is skiers only. Okay. Have you? Uh, do you ski at all? Or are you snow? You're you only snowboard. Uh, no, I only snowboard really. You only snowboard. Okay. So, I mean, I ski and this place, Mad River Glen is super cool. Um, it's skiers only. They have one single chairlift. It's only natural snowmaking. And really the only time that you can go is after a good storm. And one of the things, skiing is my favorite thing in the entire world. But one of the strategies that I've changed over the recent years, you're from Colorado. It's a lot different. I live in the Northeast and I've planned trips and gone up there and conditions are okay. And the thing about conditions when they're okay, it's fun. It's a little bit like, you know, Pizza or blowjobs, you can't complain. It's fun. It's not like a good slice of pizza, and it's not like a good blowjob. And if you're not bird or kissed, you know the difference. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> I swear to God, I'm gonna go to that studio. I'm gonna hang you. It's gonna take a couple. We're rocking the the vending machine back and forth. It's gonna take a couple. We're, we'll get out of this rut. We'll get out. Where, uh, Robbie? Where is that studio, by the way? Um, you're welcome is anytime. There a parking garage. I could bring a truck with fertilizer full of it into. <laughs> Listen, we can go fisticuffs anytime, buddy. I'll take my chance. How how tall are you? No, I'm a midget too, dog. I got the great being fat midget combo, my friend. So, uh, so you're yeah. short and fat. I don't think you'd have a chance. Yeah. No, what do you I think, always armpit? With the crew. I always, I always rolled with the classic Queens crew. I was the little one. Armpit. What, what, no, no, I'm bringing you, the I'm bringing the think, muscle in this podcast. Who do you think would take oh, down no, this not. fight between me and the Chicken Man? It sounds like it sounds I like I got my money on Bert. Wait, he's a bowling ball. He's a low muscle. He's a little muscle? And I could box. Do you actually know it? Like, have you boxed before? Yeah, I could box. 
Okay. Do you got knockout power? This could be interesting. No, I'm a jab kind of guy. In, out, around, you know, bob the head, weave, jab, jab. But if you're big, don't you just get don't, don't you just start breathing real? What are you gonna breathe hard at me? Just disgust me? Is that what the <laughs> plan is? Dude, Robbie, you joke, but his breathing is very, very distracting. It's crazy. It'll throw you right off. It's like somebody <laughs> snoring. I get it. Um okay. yeah. so arrhythmic like is brutal. So back to the skiing tale. So the first thing I did, which was just a little bit weird of me, is now I don't plan ski trips. If I see that there's a giant storm, I try and basically either get snowed in or go right after the storm. And so to, to right. speak to that point, so I skied this um, this mountain, Mad River Glen. I've been wanting to get back there for four years, but conditions were never good uh, when my friends were going. I got up there one of the best ski days of my entire life. And then already by the next day, it rained and you couldn't ski that mountain anymore. But what I did, which was weird, I, I mean, I just went to the mountain alone for two days. Um, and then the other thing that's weird about skiing itself when you get there, it's a little bit stuck in time. It's one of the, like, almost weird places I can show up to where everyone's listening to my music. You show up and, like, at the bar there, they just have deep cuts going of widespread panic on the mountain. They're playing, like, old Bob Weir tunes. You know, so... Yeah. My, my first question is, and I, because I, I remember this with bowling alleys. Bowling alleys used to be like a rundown, divey kind of thing, and then they went trendy. Now they've all been taken over. It's not quite disco, but it's modern music. They've made them all nice. Did, is that going to happen to my ski resorts? Like, when is that wheel going to turn when the investors come in and it becomes more expensive, fancy, and just not what we like? Man, I. I think to some degree, it's a little bit inevitable. And the and the place that I just went, I just got back like two weeks ago from uh, Crested Butte and Vale just bought them. And so I'm just like, I'm dreading that, man. I'm dreading because you're right, man. Like part of skiing is just getting that old school vibe, divey, just go kill yourself on the mountain and then kill yourself drinking and, and, and just call it a day. And I do not want disco balls and I don't want glitz and glam. And uh, yeah, it's really, really upsetting to see that. And it's direction. Fun, it's funny because not only is the glitz and glam annoying, it becomes more expensive. It's not like all of a sudden yeah. they made the value of it worse to you. And now so like the, you, you can save money. They'll give you like a, a grumpy coupon because you can't get with the times like it, it costs you more money. <laughs> all right. So but this is what I was leading into with this is I was just kind of while I was alone on the mountain, a man got to thinking. And I realized that part of I think what makes me identify or has kind of led me to being a libertarian is that I, I'm a little bit weird. And so if you have group events, I don't want to be a part of your group event. You know what I mean? Like usually the group activity is just not what I want to do. And I like, I, I even, I grew up with two sisters and there was always, Hey, we're going to do this family thing. Well, let's do the family thing that I want to do. Let's go go-karting. Well, no one in the family wants to, well, it's not a family activity. You're forcing me to do the activity that you want to do. It's not like, and so I do feel that way just in general in life where it's like, you know, there's that idea of, Hey, we're all going to do something as a group. And if you're the person who doesn't like what the group's doing, it's very easy to kind of be like, well, fuck this whole group thing. I don't want to be in your dumb group. If it's just going to impose on me to do all the shit that I don't want to do. Um, which I think just ha in having weird tastes, it kind of your brain just becomes wired for, hey, fuck being in a group. Yep. Yep. I agree. And I, I actually so I went on that ski trip with uh, a family, which introduces a whole new component. Right. So like I've got the entire uh, not the entire I'd speak like I have a huge family. I don't really have that big. But we had six, seven people there. And you're combining the so and, and, and nobody else was terribly good at skiing or snowboarding. So I was kind of off on my own. And uh, and but you're you have a week where you're trying to pursue this solo activity, but then plans and make rules and make sure that's not what I want to do. I want to wake up at 
have it. I want to drink a few beers. Then I want to go get like crazy on the mountain for a while. And then maybe take a nap. Like, I don't want all this shit. It's crazy. Um, I agree with you. I have that sometimes when I, I get nervous when like people who haven't skied want to go skiing and you're like, no, you're going to ruin my trip. You're not going to wait on a wake yeah. up to make it for the first lift. We're going to get on the mountain. I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to go ski these double blacks and I'll see you in two hours. And then you're going to be offended that I don't want to spend time with you. Um, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Uh, what about you, uh, Burdekiss? Other than eating, I don't know what other hobbies you might have. But <laughs> have you also experienced, yeah. I guess, being a group outsider that you feel kind of also growing up just kind of wires you for the libertarian identity? You know, I I think where I come from it is I actually am a, more of a group person. I'm an extrovert by nature. And uh, I, what I found about the liberty movement that attracted me to it was that it was finally a group of people where I knew where the end was. That if we had a disagreement, I could trust that this person was not someone who would turn on me or or go, there should be a law against that or whatever. And I remember in college, freshman year of college, I got involved with the, the Young Republicans. So I go to a Young Republicans meeting at Queens College, which as you can imagine is... Because I, I just assumed you showed up to Queens, you're like, I'm not cool. Who else here isn't cool? And then you found <laughs> the young Republicans. You know, I don't want to. I, I don't know if I want to be that guy. I was cooler than not in high school, and I lost all that when I went to Queens College. That and happened I tried to, to me. get it again. Oh my god! Can we get into that a little bit? I know that we're diverting here because I lost all of my cool in Queens College as well. Um, and yeah. I, I'll tell you what. Here's just what ki- failure killed killed my cool. Like when I was, I was a very carefree person. I didn't give a shit about anything ever. I, I don't know, which to me is kind of cool. But then Queens College, uh, I did very well there. For years, I did well in, in college. I was like close to a straight A student, never showed up to class. And then I hit some classes where the information wasn't in the textbook and just failed and failed and failed and felt really shitty about myself. The other thing I, I like, th- what's great about Queens is it's it's cheap as fuck. I think it's like 2,500 bucks a semester. So a little more than that these days. But yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm it sure. It is cheap. Yeah, it's cheap. So, um, it, you didn't you, I, like I left school debt free, which is great. I was also able to do stand up comedy, which was great. But in terms of experience, y- you kind of show up and it's people who a lot of Asians who want to get ahead in life and they're not hanging out. People are it's a commuter school. You got your Jews who are religious, don't interact with other people. You've got your Asians who are just there. Yeah, for, what is the deal with that? What that with, is a, that is there's a group of Jewish students who just don't interact with anyone else at the school. Yeah, I was. I was what one is of, that? I was like, one of those. I was one of those kids. <laughs> oh, really? What is I was, that deal? What's the deal there? Yeah. So the deal there is that. Uh, well, firstly, it's a bit of a focus thing that I guess they kind of have their friends and like they. So they're just showing up there to do school, which I found was true of the Asian kids as well. It's a commuter school. You got a lot of people who are showing up to go to class, get their degree, get their job, and get the fuck out of there. Um, and so a lot of the, like when I was, when I was there, the first year that I was there, the first, like I used to go to a, like a Jewish study school in the morning. I was there till 2 PM. Uh, so by the time I got to college, like I was there just to get to class kind of thing. And then in the later years I was smoking so much weed. I wasn't talking to anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were just incapable. Yeah. I was probably, just so like, really yeah. Um, I'll tell you now, do you enjoy Queens at all? Cause I just hated it. Like it just, whatever. Yeah. But Queens I hate College, it. No, I hate it. Have you, uh, do you drive there or uh, how do you get there? No, I bus. I got to take the fucking 88. 
Okay, here's one of my favorites, my favorite moments of all of life. I want to share it with the two of you guys because we're friends now. We squashed the beef. Was I was once I squashed the beef. I was sitting out in my car at, at college. I think it was ten in the morning, and it was it was just a rough it was just a rough week of life. And I'm sitting out in my car, <laughs> and I opened up a forty ounce like a forty ounce of Budweiser, and I, I like and I'm sitting in there and I'm just drinking my forty ounce of Budweiser, and I have a New York Post next to me, and. This was when Charlie Sheen was in trouble. And mentally in my head, I was like, you know what? I, like someone like Charlie Sheen gets me. You know, like this is someone I can relate to. <laughs> and I open up the article really excited to read about Charlie Sheen. And like in the interview, they asked him about drugs and alcohol. And he goes, well, as long as they're not just being some loser drinking in a car. That's tough. We'll see the 40s. The 40 ounce of, of malt liquor is really just like a potentially really tough scene, but also potentially pretty great. And you never know, like whenever you see somebody drinking a 40, you're like, you kind of do a judgment. You're like, is this really good or really bad? And, you know, like, is this guy going to go live under a bridge? Or you know, like, and that, that's the, that's the, the like, sort of the 40 ounces. But that used to be my go-to bro. I used to drink a forty ounce of ice house and then uh, and then go out to like a house party or maybe downtown. Hey, Mike, it seems you like, like, uh, like he's cutting out quite a bit. Ounce right now. Is there anything we can do about that? No, I mean uh, just slow down. You mean he should slow down yeah. while he's t- talking? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry about that. I'm a fast ass talker, so I get why that's a an annoying request from our producer. And believe me, we're gonna put Mike into a closet and figure out this technology. Um, Mike, any comments? It better be on there, Don. On their dime, <laughs> okay. We've well, been paying them this whole time anyway. No, so we're all on our dime. So it's all on our dime. All right. So you were talking about forty ounces. The only time I really drink forty ounces that was in the high school thing. I used to like those big forties of Budweiser, and that's because I didn't have money as a kid. And the fact that you could get one of those for two dollars and fifty cents. I mean, even now, it sounds like I grew up in the depression. Yeah, I mean, it's like that's why I always I still drink. I used to, yeah, forty lights out. I think a dollar twenty one gas station right around the corner from the apartment of the college, and and it was just a, it was a perfect start. All right, so kind of getting back into the liberty conversation. So the first thing that I, I kind of just realized while I was out there is I do think growing up and being a bit of a weirdo, the idea of, hey, we're going to do something um, because the whole group wants to do it, I kind of felt like, well, I'm losing out in that relationship, so I don't like that. The other thing is I would just say by nature, I'm very anti-authoritative. Like the idea that someone can tell me what to do or feels like that they're above me. Like there's a bully side of me that's just like, hey, fuck you. Like you're not more important. You're not smarter. You just got this dumb power thing. Like I've just even at every aspect of my life, like all the way back to high school, you know, I just kind of would kick shit around if someone felt like, hey, I'm in charge of you. Uh, So I'm wondering if you guys just have that, you know, psychological bent as well. Yeah, I do. I, I I mean, I remember growing in 2008, George Carlin passed away. And that's when I heard of George Carlin. And you know, that's George Carlin's whole message is fuck you, you're not the boss of me, all that. So that's where I, I came into it, 2008. Uh, not because of Ron Paul, just because of the George Carlin thing. So yeah, I've always been of that mind too. Just don't fucking tell me what to do. You're not better. All that. I, I feel you on that. Did you come to comedy? You mean to being a libertarian? Yeah, because I, I've spoken to a lot of people where that's the, the way they came in was through comedy. Scott Horton is one of those people. So that's int- I, okay. So I would say a couple of years ago, um, my, 
my, my take on government was I was pretty much what you would call like a New York City Democrat, which I was very fiscally oh. conservative, but socially liberal. So my idea on government mm. was like, hey, there's really no part of you to be a part of my social life. You, you, you shouldn't be weighing in on gay marriage. Like that just has nothing to do with you. But on the same note, like government should just be as responsible um, with money as possible. And that I just kind of see the usage of debt as being corrupt. So that was kind of my starting point. From there, I kind of saw... Uh, I, I was a little bit more hardline conservative on the fiscally conservative thing, um, which was kind of, hey, I think government is uh, is inept, and so we should just have as little of it as possible. That was kind of my viewpoint. Like, in whatever way we can constrict it, we're better off. Um, the thing that kind of changed my attitude a little bit was uh, finding Doug Stanhope, and I found Doug Stanhope because mm-hmm. I used to do open mics in the city all the time, and it was there was this website called BadSlava.com, and uh, on the bottom of BadSlava, they had all these famous comedians. They had like uh, Dave Chappelle, um, Louis C.K., like all the biggest names in comedy. Then there was this other guy who I didn't know who he was, and I was like, who's this other guy who seems to get top billing on this website with all these other super famous comics? And I found him, and he was Doug Stanhope, and now... Back then, mm-hmm. every time I got on stage, it was like my shtick. I was drinking beer. It was a really stupid, expensive party trick that n- didn't help my comedy career and wasn't that funny. But I just thought being on stage with a beer at an open mic that you paid for made you a cool. It didn't. So take that note, kids. But anyways, <laughs> people who were smarter than me tried to tell me, hey, you're not cool that you're just drinking beers all the time. And then I found this guy, Doug Stanhope, who's drinking on stage. And I was like, oh, this is my new idol. This guy gets it. Uh and then he had some incredible jokes about liberty. Um, if you haven't heard them, you should go look it up. Like, uh, uh, if you guys aren't familiar, he's got that amazing joke about marriage. Do you ever hear that joke? No. The marriage joke by Doug Stanhope. No, I don't think so. So here, here's the joke. Is basically here's the thing about me. Like, you're basically saying, "Hey, baby, what we have going on here is so good. We got to get the government in on this." Like that just so yeah, yeah. that just so encapsulate like what is government? Why do I need it in my life? The other one he had was uh this joke I'm gonna botch. We had this joke about like there's that old phrase if you um you can teach a man to fish, um you know he can eat like if if you buy a man a fish and eat for a day, teach a man to fish, he can uh you know mm-hmm. eat for a lifetime. But what they don't tell you is that he's got to go down to the DMV and he's got a permit. And even if he has the permit, where is he gonna <laughs> gut the fish? And then he's gonna have to pay taxes before you like he just goes on <laughs> this whole thing that also just shows shows you the corruption of government. So. Through Doug Stanhope, I I then, before him, I didn't even know that there was this word libertarian, that there was this other group. And I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. I like where this is coming from. Um, and then I also became very good friends with Dave Smith. I used to see him. Um, we used to perform at LOL all the time. And independent of him, I started reading David Stockman's book. This is when me and Dave used to bond. We used to be people like we just kind of drank. And one day I, was, I didn't even realize Dave was nearly as knowledgeable as he was. But one day I was I was looking around uh, David Stockman's The Great Deformation. Um, it popped up to my ra- on my radar because I always kind of had a bit of a view about financial corruption in the U.S. and the Fed that I couldn't wrap my head around. I do have a finance background from being in college. And I also kind of really, um, was in college and was affected by the last recession. And, uh, like I was, I, I had written a lot of college papers about the recession. I really had a, an understanding about, um, credit asset bubbles and what the government did to that market. And when I saw the little blurb about David Stockman's book, I was fascinated. I gotta go. I said, I gotta go read this. And I pulled that on my bag and Dave's just jaw dropped. He's like, Holy shit. I, I, I read that book, which I couldn't believe it's an effect. I couldn't believe that David already read that. Um, and from there, Dave kind of turned me on to Murray Rothbard and uh, um, 
changed my views on a bunch of things because there were like there were some things like when it came to the military, like I was very I, I, that one. I would have told you like, hey, I don't really understand foreign policy. Maybe it's important for us to have a like. I've totally changed my mind on that. So that, I guess that's kind of the long answer to how I kind of fell into this. Yeah, so it sounds like you kind of came into it from a uh, economic side, which is definitely the way that I would say that I got into it. And I think that's how Bird and I differ a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've got great deformation on the bookshelf behind me. Have you read it? Uh, that was a great book. Oh, yeah. What about, did you read Trumped? That was his uh, new one. No, is that Stockman as well? Yeah, that, that was his new one. I find with Stockman, I, I just, I tell this to, to anybody listening, when you're reading his books, just move forward. Like, yeah. you'll pick up on the themes if you try and read every single paragraph and then stop and go, hey, did I really understand this and reread that paragraph? You're fucked. Right. It's just like, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's when you're reading Stockman, you're you're just driving a sedan and really loose sand. Like you just got to like just just keep the speed, keep the speed and just try and coast through to some firm ground. That's exactly. Like you're not going to understand all of it. It's really, really complicated. You won't even remember a lot of it, but you'll pick up on the themes and especially the themes of corruption. And then you'll just know that there's good sound ground to kind of stake your positions on. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, Mises is kind of the same way in, in a lot of uh, regards and Rothbard can be like that too. Although I think Rothbard does a really good job of breaking stuff down. Him and Thomas Sowell are probably the best authors I've read for, for really breaking things down into their, their core components and feel, making you feel like you understood it. Yeah. I kind of feel like the part of the problem audience has gotten ahead of me in terms of their, uh, Liberty knowledge and reading. I got to do my homework. I've fallen behind on two regards. Firstly, is I got to be really up to date on weekly news, and I also have uh, a yeah. kind, somewhat kind come. To, I, I've I've grown a little bit in that I don't really feel like I'm responsible for other people's problems, and I also in meeting people that I didn't know existed, um, like uh, like a Bob Murphy. I'm like, all right, this guy's gonna have a better handle on libertarian economics than I ever will. Like, I'll leave that to him, and I'll go read my sales books and get better at what actually pays my bills, but. I've got a lot of kudos to all the people who actually take the time to do their homework and, you know, and read this stuff. Um, the other one, I got to give a, a shout out to this guy. I don't even know if you're familiar with him. Have you guys ever heard of George Reisman? Yes. Yeah. I, I just read one of George Reisman's books about Marxism. I forget the name of it. It's a very long essay about Marxism. And it's just like 80 to 100 pages of him taking a shit all over Marxism so yeah, I, I read that recently. So Reisman is a really good writer and somebody who I would probably drop that book into their lap and go, if you want to learn about the Liberty movement and what we are opposed to, there's your book. Yeah. George so, Reisman yeah, is George Reisman. I would recommend he's phenomenal. Here are the essays to read from that guy. He's got the best essay on gun control. Changed my mind on that. He's got the best essay on, uh, environmentalism. Changed my mind on that on healthcare. Hmm. But where I came across George Reisman, and this was also one of the big things that, um, you know, in kind of exploring Liberty is, uh, I came, I can't even find it, but I came across in college when I was like, you know, re researching credit asset bubbles and what was going on in the economy. He had this term called dollar diplomacy, where he was kind of talking about how America, um, we have our own form of imperialism and it's by forcing the entire world to use, um, the dollar. And, uh, he was talking about all the corruption that kind of comes out of that. And here's the different, like I, this, I, I, it's almost in emotional. It's almost intellectual. Sometimes I read something and it just kind of your bullshit radar just kind of goes off and you're like, Hey, this doesn't make sense to me. 
And like, I, mm. if I open up the New York Times, you know, sometimes that just that bullshit radar goes off, and you're like, all right, this isn't for me. When I read that, it just gave me a clearer picture. Like, it just that spark flew in my head of like, I think that's truth. That just sounds accurate. And what was crazy was in college, being taking economics classes. I didn't know if he was someone I could even reference in a paper or if it was like some fringe, uh, you know, internet opinion that would get me in trouble. And then I looked up the Austrian school of economics and I'm like, oh, well, these guys are in Kenzie and I can't quote this. It's going to get laughed at. This is conspiracy theory shit. And then it took me a long time to like come across Austrian economics and go, no, no, this is better. And that's who that guy was. And then go read more of his shit. Yeah, yeah, you kind of like back your way in and then you realize you're in a whole different room. Like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah absolutely. It's, it's and like so a different. Sorry. And then, so what about you? So at Birder Kiss, is there any like particular, you know, flash of lightning moment? Yeah. Listener Spooner's No Treason. Have you, have you read that? No, I have not. What is it? So Lysander Spooner's No Treason. Lysander Spooner, as far as I can understand, it was a lawyer of some kind. I know he was an abolitionist. And the deal with him was that that uh, essay, No Treason, is basically a treatise on why the Constitution is not valid in his mind. And that was because I came from this as like a libertarian light, maybe classical liberal type of person, wasn't really interested in politics up until this moment. I read No Treason. It is a multi-page just dissection of what it would take legally to construct some sort of a social contract uh, contract. And he pretty much breaks down why the constitution does not fulfill those qualities. Like uh, the, you know, the old thing on Twitter of I didn't sign shit. It's basically a big essay on why I didn't sign shit. So uh, that's where and- I came. That was the spark. I remember I was reading it on a Thursday at like two in the morning. And I was like, holy shit, this is the first time ever I'm reading something that I feel like is connecting to me on a level where there's, there was no hint of, is this person bullshitting me? It was just very genuine, straightforward, and honest. So I would recommend anyone read that if you're interested in getting into the Liberty Movement. That's an interesting one because I were, I, have you guys read the book? Uh, this is turning really nerdy, by the way. But have you guys read the book, uh, Why Governments Fail? Uh, what is that? It's, 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 is that it's, Schiff no. or... It's a worthwhile book. It, it, it's also a, a big book, but um, one of the biggest things in there is he kind of talks about how uh, um, freedom kind of really leads to economic development and political structures that allow for freedom and entre- entrepreneurship really prosper. And so if you look at like some of the largest tech developments, which is even the spinning wheel, which replaced the industries of if you were a guy who weaves shirts or any of those other things, um, the explosive economic developments were because the governments at that in those areas were non-protectionist um and also kind of going back to what we were talking about in finding liberty i remember once if you guys uh pj o'rourke he was a big writer for um for uh national lampoons um and i once came across he had a book it was similar it was like the you know the comedy version of why nations fail i didn't even read the whole thing but i was fascinated by that question of why do some countries you know, why are some countries like what you have in Africa where people are just starving and they have unbelievable um, 
physical resources there, and yet they're completely ass backwards. Venezuela, unbelievable resources, ass backwards. So it's got nothing to do with the resources of a country. It's got all to do with the political structures. Um, now, what's interesting about Why Nations Fail is the premise of that book is essentially that if you had a government constrained by a document, like a constitution, if we understood governments are going to try and grow, grow, and grow, and create power for themselves, and create protectionist policies that you know take wealth away from the people... If we can contain that with a document, it might be a recipe for success. And to me, the U.S. government is the proof of the failed experiment of a government contained by a constitution. Because that was the experiment. Like, the the, the forefront, they had great ideas about liberty and how a government could work with three branches being contained. And it just, we tried it, we ran the experiment, and it failed. Yeah, yeah, no no question. And uh, and. That uh, that I mean, Lysander Spooner really I think broke that down from from like a different level. Like like on one level, it's a pragmatic, and you can watch it play out. Like we're watching in Venezuela, and have watched for the last five years or ten years. You can watch it um, in I mean, what Zimbabwe not that long ago, as they slipped into hyperinflation and and uh, progressed in, into a downward spiral spiral. But uh, Lysander Spooner from a moral side, like the moral argument. I don't, I don't think anybody really makes it as succinctly as he does. The pragmatic arguments we can observe as they happen in real time. Like they, they're happening in Venezuela as they slipped into hyper. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so my next question for you guys is, I know the big thing for me, if you ask me kind of what can we do to fix things, what would you like to see change? So first and foremost, I would love it if it was actually in the Constitution that government can't run a deficit at all. I think that that's one of the biggest things that kind of creates corruption and allows the government not to really work in our interests. I think like that, that one thing could be a tremendous solve. I think the next thing that could be a huge solve is just getting rid of the Federal Reserve. I would love if we had sound money. I think we could have incredible economic development. And then the next big thing that I'd love to see is government as localized as possible, because um, I do think that there's competition among states for people. We're going to see that as more states be- go bankrupt. Um, and I think that like... I love to like, in other words, I, I, I like I'm a big fan of the anarcho libertarian, but I also um, I think sometimes ideas look good on paper. And if you created that state, I would want to go live in it and I'd want to run that experiment. But I also know for sales, you kind of have to you got to prove the model, you know, just the fact that something looks great on paper and you can make the moral argument. It's like, well, as morally good as it, if for some reason it just doesn't work, you don't know until you kind of do things. We all in our life have had great ideas, and when it comes to execute on great ideas, maybe it's just that people don't buy into it. And if people don't buy into it and they don't want to participate, all of a sudden maybe chaos happens. I can't tell you. The point is you got to kind of prove the model. So to recap, number one solve I'd love to see is just government can't run a deficit at all. Number two is I'd like to see sound money because I know the economics um, and basically the prosperity that could follow. And then I'd like to see more localized government so that if there is a government, at least it's a little bit more reflective of your interests. You can vote by moving to places and government can kind of operate a little bit more like a company and have to compete with each other. Um, if you guys had to like, I guess, suggest firstly what your fix might be or what is like, what is your biggest gripe? What is the number one thing that like, if you said, Hey, I stand for something. And if if you put me in charge or if, if I had one theme or mission statement, this is the one thing I'd really like to contribute or see change. Uh, Corey, you want to go first? So you do do it quickly. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, I guess it's a little bit different for me because, uh, 
I am, I'm an agorist. And so I, I would, it would be a bottom up type deal. Um, and coming up with goods and services that would economically incentivize people to use the voluntary version rather than the coerced. Uh, but if, if we're doing a top down model and if I have to work with government, uh, I, I don't see any problems with what you said. All right. I like it. I, I like that, when people agree with me, so I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken man, what do you got for us? Uh, I also agree with you. Uh, the deficit in the fed to me, they would run one in the same in the way I would put it. If I can't pick either of yours, the two things I would like to see done that I think would work and could be practiced would be, I would like to number one, I would like to see Congress start enforcing when we can take police actions and go to war. Uh, I would like to see them have to vote on it with a two-thirds majority with a, an actual vote, not a spoken vote, where they can hide uh, in the crowd. That would be number one. That would be something I think could be practiced that would make a huge difference in the overall, in the overall view of what America's participation in the world is. The second thing I would like to see domestically, I would like to see super PACs dissolved, and I would preferably like to see as much lobbying dissolved as possible. Because at this point, people who are supposedly in that constitution that people value so much, there are people who are supposed to represent us. And because of lobbying and because of super PACs, they have no obligation to do that for more than the two months that it takes to get people to vote for them. I, I so I would say those two things that I couldn't ignore too. Got you, got you. Um, one of the big things that actually changed my mind in terms of the big uh, having a big army kind of thing, because for a while I kind of I just didn't weigh in on that. I was like, I I don't understand international politics that enough. Maybe there's a possibility if we didn't have some giant army, we're actually at risk of China pushing us around a little bit or other people taking re. Like I just don't know. I don't get it. But the thing that really changed my mind, um, I'm a sales guy. I was talking about that before. I read this book called The Go-Giver. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, but just this one line, I'm going to read it to you guys, really changed my perspective on, uh, oh, wait, eh, that's a picture of a different d- different dumb sales line. <laughs> um, the line that changed yes. it, I think I remember it was basically, it, he was saying, if you view the world as a dog-eat-dog world, there's always going to be a bigger dog. And really what he was trying to say is like, if I want to be, and you see China doing it right now with the Silk Road, if I want to be cooperative with you, like, let's say, you know, I'm out on a date with the chicken man, we're making amends and I'm trying to have big fat gay sex with him, right? Let's imagine I was trying to do that. I wouldn't show up to that date with my divorce lawyer. I wouldn't spend money on a divorce lawyer. You want to be cooperative with other countries. It's by being cooperative. It's by making investments over there, creating trade opportunities. It's not by saying, hey, I've got this big old army. And China's doing that right now with the Silk Road. They're making investments in other countries and they have better relationships with those countries. So I just, on that basis, I don't believe that you like... You, sometimes you gotta you gotta make the first step when it comes like me. You guys tried to take down my content, and I invited you on my show to make amends. You see, it's proof of the concept. <laughs> right, right. Proofs in the pudding. All right. Uh, yeah, go for it. Oh, oh, I, yeah. I was gonna just say I I don't think in history or I don't recall a country that's ever been a superpower without being an economic superpower. Um, and you know, I think that we have every interest in maintaining that. And the amount of waste that goes into military is, is, is crazy. That could be gone into production. And I think that would keep us safer. 
A hundred percent. All right. So I get, I, I got two more questions for you. So the next one is, uh, tell us a little about your podcast. I know you guys got the fad cast. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you guys do over there and, uh, why they should check it out. So you want to take just, a um, yeah, we just, uh, interviewed, uh, Howie Snowden. That's going to be an episode that comes out. Everybody who knows who Howie Snowden is, is, if you know him, you probably know him from lines of liberty. Uh, specifically, you probably know him from libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor, right? If you've ever seen or listened to that podcast, the essential idea of our podcast was, you know, libertarians take themselves very seriously, and sometimes to the point where you can hear a pin drop in a room if somebody disagrees with another person. And I think what we decided we wanted to do was we looked at Dave Smith's show, we looked at Lions of Liberty doing their special where they get drunk and they talk in rooms. And we decided, hey, the liberty movement could use more of this. Just people talking shit, having a good time. Does liberty come up in our show all the time? But it's it's laced into conversations about cryptids and whether or not politicians are aliens and lizards. So you get your 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 goofs and, and then hopefully we get to teach people some lessons every once in a while. But to do that all the time, I think there are more than enough podcasts that do the libertarian education thing well enough that we we couldn't get involved in that so it's a comedy podcast libertarian themes we like to keep it libertarian as much as we can and then when we're not doing that we're probably talking about sasquatch so that's the essential theme of the podcast and then every once in a while they suck each other's dicks just to stay true to the name um which Mm -hmm. (laughs) brings me to my next point How, how do you guys even know each other if you're from you know across the country He's uh, my like third just through Twitter. Uh, there was a tw- there was a Twitter account, uh, Anarchy Ball. He's actually on Instagram still, I think. That uh, got a bunch of people together in like a, a group chat that were you know all anarchist or minarchist or whatever. And uh, we were in it, and I guess I don't know. There was just like a we just decided to start a podcast. So yeah, we've never met. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and squashing the beef. Like I said, I totally forgive you for um, having one of my episodes oh. taken down from defamation. I hope that you don't do it again. Um, but, you know, that's the love that I throw into the that's the good vibes I throw out. I'll, I'll even forgive you. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I, I, I checked out a few of your episodes. They're really funny. I like what you guys are doing. And uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Rob. It was good squashing the beef. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll let the, probably we'll, be beefing again. So. We'll let the people of the internet know that the, 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 the beef has been squashed. They can go back to just hating the government. You know, yeah. how much, <laughs> how good, much good. why do they got to pick sides between the two of us? Like, let's, uh, we can all focus our outrage on, on the, the one enemy at hand. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate you guys joining us. Have a good one. You Thanks, too. man. Those were the people of the, of the fag cast, which was a good time. Now, uh, we got some we got some quick news that I want to go through with you. We got Mike here, and first is we we were in a phone call making mood. We spoke to the guys from the Fadcast, and we were like, "Let's take some more calls." And so, Mike Harrington, excellent at prank phone calls. Do you ever need to prank a friend of yours with an aggressive aggressive call? Mike Harrington is your man. And so we tried prank calling some art galleries to see if perhaps they could sell us a Hitler, because apparently those are just up for sale. Mike Harrington. Well, I mean, you know, I made very clear to, you know, state that it was from before all the bad stuff. 
No, no, no. You were very clear that you're just a wealthy man and that there's a lot of money in the market and that they could get a commission if they could just help you get your hands on a Hitler. <laughs> I and, literally had to ask three different people, hey, so you're telling me there's no way you can get me a Hitler? <laughs> so are you telling – I have $50,000 cash ready to go right now and you're telling me that you can't get out there with all your art connections and find me a Hitler? <laughs> and I guess the good people in New York City, they just said no and you can't use this recording either. So you'll just have to take our word for it that we actually made those phone calls. How incredible. Yeah. Can you use just my side of the recording? I don't know. We can look up the law on that. I'm, I'm okay with it. I think um, that should be fine. It, it should be. Uh, it is. I want a Hitler so badly. I just think it's so fucking funny that you could have someone over to your house and they could go, that's a really nice painting. What is that? A Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be my favorite thing in all of life. I have, um, years ago, buddy of mine, uh, I, I'm not. I'm gonna ruin his joke, so I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't want to credit him to then have a bad joke. Um, actually, whatever. Dan Perlman, really funny comic. Comic. Hysterical. Love Dan. He had a really funny. This was early in open mic. I didn't really talk to him much, but this joke just made me laugh so hard that I became friends with him. Um, he was telling this joke that he saw on a bookshelf the unauthorized biography of Hitler. And he's like, what could possibly be in the unauthorized biography? <laughs> like he ate too much cake at parties? Like what is left from Hitler that he didn't want you to know that this is the unauthorized biography? Killed so, six million Jews and had a bit of a foot thing. Yeah. <laughs> what? Like I said, I don't think that was – his joke was something along those lines. I don't think I, I pegged the specific. But I was once at a used bookstore and they had a shelf of Hitler books, giant books. I'm talking like thousand-page Hitler books, right? And so I picked one of them up just because I was curious to see what it was. And on the back side of it, it was like fun. It was as if you were reading Snapple facts about Hitler. It was like as a, as a young boy at age eight, <laughs> Hitler was in the choir. Hitler enjoyed blueberry bubble. And like I just started cracking up because there was no mention on the back cover about him being the leader of Germany or the atrocities that happened. It was just <laughs> like, here's a dude who lived and here's some fun facts about just him. <laughs> <laughs> Hitler fun facts. Hitler fun facts. So. I bought that book and I thought I was going to start just like, firstly, I was, I was going to give it to Danny, Danny P as a joke. And then I wanted to just start buying them and gift wrapping them to like give to people whenever they had <laughs> parties. I thought I was going to make that my thing. But then I was curious one day I was born in my house and I opened it up to read it. And there were some fascinating little pieces about Hitler in there. Here's one that I really loved. Are you ready for this, Mike Harrington? So you would think Hitler, like what's your vision of Hitler during World War II? Like when he, you know, when he's calling the shots, what would be your vision of him as like a, a dude or him like as a leader? What would you think he was like? Um, I, you know, a very loud, very angry guy. Like that's kind of the, that's kind of the vibe I get from him is that he's very hard to please. You would think he was aggressive. You would think yeah. he had a true vision of what he thought for the world, a confidence like no man you've ever seen. But the real story of Hitler as a dude had terrible diarrhea. He had horrible intestinal problems, legendary farts, and he was so ransacked by anxiety. And like he was shitting up a storm so bad, a doctor was hopping him up on basically speedballs. They had like this German version of cocaine. He was a cocaine addict, and then they were also dosing him up with uh with like a, a morphine kind of thing. That guy was a fucking diarrhea out junkie living in a bunker. That's the real Hitler. Dude, this guy kind of sounds like a badass. <laughs> and he painted? And he painted. Well, the painting thing is just, is, is just not a bad painter, really. Look. Some of the colors, very, like you would think the paintings would be really Hitler-y, and they're not. They're very tranquil. I mean, 
if he'd only stuck with painting. It would be it would be a, a very different world. I'm um, ju- yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, like from the way you're describing him, you could make a case, like yeah, other than the four million Jews or six million Jews, he wasn't that bad of a guy. You know, he just liked to party. <laughs> if you could just look past that one thing, he was okay. <laughs> just those six million and one yeah. things. <laughs> I, I said this joke on stage once at an open mic. It just wasn't funny enough to work. But I have a thing. Like, I, I'm good with people based on my last interaction with them. Like, if, if my last interaction with you is good, we're cool. And if you were a cunt the last time, then I hate you. But then, you know, if I see you again and you're cool, we're cool again. Like, I was saying, like, if I, like if I drink a, a beer at a bar with Hitler and he was cool... Be like, yeah, all right. So he killed those six million people, but I don't know. I had a beer with him last week. He was pretty cool. You know, he he paid for schnitzel. He was a good dude. Yeah, like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what all your beef with Hitler is. I had a beer with him. He's all right. <laughs> um. Okay. Next thing is, uh, I want to talk about this because I, I I'm a sales guy, and I actually, I dude, I love sales. I mean, I've I've worked jobs that I've hated. I've had bad months. I've had bad years. But I'm just saying, in the macro, I very much enjoy kind of creating business and, and being on the phone. I, th- I think you're that way too, Mr. Harrington. Dude, there's nothing I love more than just being a piker on the phone. Just get just seeing how long I can keep a secretary entertained. It's the best. Yeah, there's something to... It, it's kind of like that prank phone call that we just took, except you're playing a businessman. You're playing a different character, yeah. but it's basically a prank phone call. Like, you're not... I said this on a phone call this past week. I was so in character of that I was going to... I was trying to close a deal. I, I said this with confidence. I wasn't saying it as a joke. I said it. It came out of my mouth. I was I was trying to close a guy on me being able to place ads with him. I was like, you don't understand. There is literally money falling off my desk right now. <laughs> I have deals coming in that I can't close because I don't have the right inventory. Are you going to help me pick up this cash? Are we going to make this money together? <laughs> Hell yeah, dog. I mean, it's just like insanity. It's so fun. But anyways, dude, I, yeah. uh, I, my go-to prank call, and this is like, this is my claim to fame. Legitimately with all, all my friends growing up know me as a uh, Lieutenant Dan Einhart. I'm calling from the, the manic police department. Uh, you know, we picked up a, uh, a Honda Accord, uh, had, uh, four friends in there. Looked like a Doobie Brothers concert. They're all smoking grass. I put them in four separate rooms and these hard asses who ain't going to say a word. They start talking like 10 year old girls eating ice from a slumber party. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about you, Robbie Bernstein. They said that you're the one that sold them the grass, the icky sticky, the weed, all right? You're bringing drugs into my town, my town where I play ball with my four-year-old son in my front yard. I don't want him having a needle in his arm on the playground, all right? Get these drugs out of my town, Rob. And, uh, you know, I would, like, go on and on with this bit to the point where I actually had a friend of mine just break down in tears once in Grand Central, begging me not to bring police dogs to his home to ruin his father's 60th birthday party oh the my next god day. that's amazing <laughs> i was even better would have been if you had a friend who just showed up to a police station to turn himself in <laughs> dude we came close a couple of times like i had i had one kid narc on his boy who was with me uh, oh no dog it was oh bad. no i was like yo Did get killed all i want to admit know, to that on air all i want to know who's driving the lexus and he's like it's blank like the kid's name i hand the oh phone to the kid he's like god. you're fucking dead to me fucking fast forward five years later that same kid comes up to me in a starbucks he goes hey what's going on man my name is james you used to you maybe you knew me under the name bam uh back in high school i'm like oh bam what's up buddy he's like yeah not too much dude i'm uh in school right now i'm about to graduate uh with you know like a pretty good gpa i'm gonna go to business school after this that the other i want to let you know that prank phone call uh really changed my life yeah i stopped hanging out with those kids i i really didn't have access to drugs anymore so i got back on the straight and narrow i actually got to turn my life around senior year of high school got a scholarship 
ship and got my whole life Dude, together because of that prank call. I got to tell bullying, underrated. I have bullied people into losing weight. There are people living great skinny lives right now because I made them feel <laughs> shitty for being fat. I did that for people. Can I? Here's one of those. Can I tell you one of those stories? I was on a two-year. Uh, no, I did a one-year Israel program between high school and uh, and college, right? And we're. <laughs> no one knew that I knew this kid. I was friendly with this kid. I played hockey with him. Um, we went to like like a one-week like hockey clinic together, so I knew the kid. Everyone else from this program didn't know me. They didn't know my 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 ball busty personality. They didn't right. know that I know this kid, right? So we're in the airport, and there's the hundred kids who are now doing this program all together. And I look around, and I notice that I'm the fat kid, right? Like I just I'm looking at everyone. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm the fat kid. And then I noticed my friend, and I was like, no, 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 he's the fat kid. And then I actually said to him, and I said this loudly, I was like, dude, it is so good you're here right now. Otherwise, I would be the fat kid on this program. <laughs> Kids did not talk to me for like six months because they were like afraid. They're like, oh, I can't go near that asshole. They didn't even know that I knew that kid. But that kid lost uh, like 75 pounds that year. And you lost all your friends. And and then I put on that weight. So, you know, <laughs> who's the winner in that story? <laughs> the guy with the six pack. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's get into the uh, the news a little bit. First is uh, obviously the uh, Trump shutdown. It, uh, it, finally, it finally came to an end. It was the longest shutdown in American history, which it's nice to finally see Trump be the biggest and best at something, you know? Hell yeah. He finally gets to put something on that on that record. Um, now, this was an article that made me laugh. In Nashville, at the international airport, um, basically for the TSA workers who were uh, working unpaid, they're there coming in every day doing work, not getting a paycheck. So people brought them Little Caesars pizza as if working without getting paid wasn't sickening enough. <laughs> <laughs> do we, are we really going to do this the the TSA? Um, all right. So last thing, five dollars, oh, hot and ready. <laughs> okay. The last thing I wanted to uh, to bring up is, uh, and I forgot to send this to you. Maybe you could just uh, find it real quick on YouTube. But Whoopi Goldberg had it out with Bill De Blasio over New York City bike lanes. Um, and the actual clip, if you find, I think it, it starts at five eleven. Or I could just, I mean, we're gonna have to edit like crazy anyway. So I, I could probably email this to you over your way. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg blows up at ends the view interview with judge whatever. Yeah. And it's, uh, and the actual bike lane part is going to start at five eleven. All right. Okay. Whoopi Goldberg slams to Blasio's view over bike lanes. You're going to go to five eleven. You said five eleven is when, all right, let's see if I can find the video. I, this doesn't seem to have a video in the article. This okay. So let me, I'll just, let me just forward it to your, your way. Sure. Oh, watch. to our own people. And that woman is... And I like bikes. I like people who ride. But I don't think you understand the impact of taking something like 10th Avenue, which is six uh, lanes, yeah. down to two and a half, particularly when you have a winter storm and you can't move. None of that is movable. So you can't get... The, nothing flows. Also, I am upset that you love these bikes, but you don't tell people to put a helmet on. Oh, yeah. We tell children to put helmets on. Well, this is this is an issue, and and 
you know, you haven't taken down the size of the trucks, so a giant truck that is bringing food to New York, which is, you know, we got nine block long trucks delivering, <laughs> and they can't make the turns. What, what feasibility study did y'all do when you decided to put these in? Because I know a lot of places, I noticed they're not on Madison <laughs> Avenue, and they're not on Park Avenue. They're all over, Whoopi. Respectfully, they're, they're all over. All right, can I, you can pause it there. They're not on par. So here's what I love about Whoopi Goldberg. She's like, listen, I'm a working person who's just trying to take my car into New York City. Okay, fuck you, Whoopi Goldberg. You probably have a driver. Who the hell can afford to get into New York City by car? I'm the real working class, and I ride that bike line every fucking day, and I don't like de Blasio. I don't like government, but I love that fucking bike lane. I drive it. The fact that those buffers are there make me feel safer. There's other working class people who take that bike lane to work because the subway sucks, and we can't afford cars. We can't go from some mansion in Jersey in our car. Like, and she's complaining, oh, and snow days. There may be three snow days a year, and how lucky are you to have a car that's going to drive you to your job that pays you X amount of money a year and not just that fuck, fucking Whoopi Goldberg you're messing with the craziest motherfuckers in all of New York City you you got to see the people the, the, the people in the bike lane are the people like me who are so angry they're not going to put up with the subway and so they'll bike at 3 in the morning in the freezing cold I once saw they closed the Queensboro Bridge and we had to take a free shuttle by the government across the Queensboro Bridge and some dude yelled at those workers for 45 minutes straight Straight, did not take a breath of air as if it was there just you mother like the most new york you motherfuckers and you're always doing construction when i gotta like as if it was there 45 minutes straight that's not the guy whose uh transportation options you want to take away no you know especially like these are people whoopi has to come on and say the government needs to tell you to wear a helmet these people are brave enough to not wear said helmet you That's true. I mean? They got some, they got, they can probably use a concussion just to, <laughs> to temper their anger a little bit. They got balls on them, man. Yeah. Don't fuck with those guys. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Uh, keep running your mouths, blah, blah, blah. All right. Thank you.